Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 42 and 1 Timothy 1. Psalm 42. For us as believers, we have desires. We have things, a a Holy Spirit-infused wanter. At least that's what we're supposed to have. Look at Psalm 42 and verse 1, very famous verse. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. So we, when we lived over on Riverside Drive, 47, had this herd of deer that lived in our backyard. And every once in a while you'd see one laying on the side of the road because it had a bad encounter with uh, modernity. And you would see at a certain time of night, they would make their way across the street down to the river because they needed a drink. And it, it, you can just bank on it that these deer were going to make it to water. They're going to go to the water. And why? Because they had to have it to live. And here David is making that analogy, that same analogy. That he can't live without God. Look at verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God. Now look at there's a distinction. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And it's interesting. Look up here at me, if you will. Now you young people, I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to focus on me. And that will help me know that you're listening today. And I'm going to warn you. If I find that you're not, I'm going to call you by name and say, focus, look in here because this is important today. All right? How many of you, when your kids were little, you said, look at me? You ever ever do that? You ever been correcting them when they're real little and you're talking to them and they're doing this and you get their little face? Of course, mine's not little. It kind of oozes over my fingers when I do this. But it just, you, you get their... You get their their face and you lock it. And it was so funny. You get their face and then their eyes are doing this. (laughs) You know. So I'm going to come down and grab your faces. Now, really focus on me. And there's a point to to that. And it, it fits into my message and what I'm trying to accomplish today. And that is... People don't think anymore. Everything is becoming automated. And automation is good to a certain extent. We're able to accomplish things that we couldn't accomplish before. But how many of you at one time had maybe 50 phone numbers in your head? I don't think I have two now. Somebody asked me, you know, Jacob's phone number or whatever. I got to look it up. I don't know. I just push a button. It says Jacob. I just push that button. And so what's happening is we are not using the mind capacity. And it would be a really good Bible study for you to do to go through your Bible and look at the word think. And all of the times that we're supposed to focus on God. Now, let me ask you this. Are we better able to do that with a capable mind or a mind that's not been exercised? Which way are we better able to focus on God? With a, with a capable mind. Jacob and I were watching um, a debate yesterday between uh, Ray Kurzweil. How many of you have heard of Ray Kurzweil? 
a couple of you. Have you ever seen a keyboard, Kurzweil keyboard? That's the guy. He invented that um, or made it popular, the, the sound synthesizers and all of those things. But he's really big in AI and computer design and all of those kinds of things, artificial intelligence. And he's also an atheist, naturalist. And he was debating a guy named David Galerter. It's an interesting name, David Galerter. David Galerter is the most interesting man in the world. He's just he's a Yale computer engineer, teacher, whatever. And as you were thinking very high, now you can tell by my language. And he teaches computer science. And he's the man who invented the concept for social media. All right, he's a, just a, a profound intellect. He writes on the history of Judaism. He writes on the history of art. But he's also one of the profound thinkers in this area of artificial intelligence and computer design and all of these things. He was one of the people blown up by the Unabomber. Isn't that interesting? Interesting guy. But he was debating this Ray Kurzweil. And this debate was from 2006, and it's on what can... Now, 2006, that's 12 years ago now. How many of you think that computers have advanced in 12 years? It's really interesting to listen to the debate and what they believe could be accomplished and what Kurzweil believed could, could, could be accomplished and what, what Galerter believed could be accomplished. And the difference was the, that Kurzweil believes that we're machines. And so all we have to do is be able to replicate a machine, find out what causes your, in your mind what causes you to do this, and you know, what neurons are triggered by what sensory input. And if we map the brain well enough, then if we have enough computing power, we can create people. And what's interesting is Galerter was awesome. He said, it's interesting at a time when people don't want to have children that we want to create people. And then he said, I can tell you an easier way to accomplish that. And if you need input on that, I'll see you after the meeting. That's what he said. It was awesome. And it's, it's fascinating how people want people, but not the way that God made them. And the difference in this debate, the difference that came down, it came down to is consciousness. What is consciousness? What is it? What, what makes the person? Is the person just reactions? Is the person just mechanical inputs or chemical inputs or electrical inputs or information inputs that can be recreated if you can design it well enough? And Galerter's point was no. No, you can't do that. You can, and, and now then we watched a speech that Galerter had given, presentation that he had given at Google two years ago about artificial intelligence. And he said, again, that we can create software and hardware that can mimic human responses, but they can never be human. Right? And the reason for that is he described the way that your mind works. You have higher level thinking, which is focus, where you're thinking about something, working on something with all of your energy, with all of your mind, and it takes everything that you have. Like Tim Hawkins said for us guys, that's making toast. <laughs> right? I've got to focus! So that's, that's that higher level. The lowest level of thought is, is free association. It's no focus at all. And that's what happens right before you go to sleep. So you have, some of you are doing that right now. So you have that, you have that high level of focus where you have your mind, you're, you're consciously, volitionally, willfully 
focusing on an object, a task, a thought, a math problem, a book that you're reading. Have you ever been reading a book and you found that you've looked at the page for 30 minutes and you've not gotten anything from it, right? What's happening is your mind is going into that free association. It's not being focused, and so you're not learning anything. And what generally happens at that point? You go to sleep. Did you know that's what a TV screen does to your child? A computer screen? A computer screen, that kind of video, it puts you in an almost coma-type setting. You're very suggestible. Your mind stops working. Have you ever talked to a child that's watching something on television? Uh, Lydia, I want you... Yeah, what? Yeah. And it's not just Lydia, it's all of us. Because that's what the screen does to us. And so now when you're talking... You can always tell, it's interesting, you can tell a child that doesn't watch television... Because they look at you and they're bright-eyed and they can talk. And then you watch children that all they do is watch television and they're... Am I exaggerating or is it true? And I'm not saying don't let your kids watch television. What I'm saying is you need to be careful that you are helping that child's mind to develop. And for that child to be able to focus on higher level thinking. I love it. All these, all these young people since I said that, they're looking at me. They're focusing on what I'm saying. Why is that? Because they can. Right? We have a culture, even in preaching schools, now none of them that we would recommend, but in preaching schools and seminars, they say keep your sermon to 10 or 12 minutes because people can't focus any longer than that. Because they've been programmed by commercials on television. That's insane. Doesn't that tell you, isn't that a, 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 a very low view of, of people and their capacity, their ability? And so what we as Christians are supposed to do, remember what Philippians says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, um, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good and perfect, acceptable. I can't remember how that goes. Will of God. And so when you look through the Scriptures, think, 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 consider Him looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's it's always mind. Now, I want to... Remember, let's go back. Think about what I'm saying. Higher level thinking is where your mind is focused and you are learning something. You're taking information. You're connecting it to something else so that it becomes useful in your mind. Have you ever read something and you couldn't remember it? That's because you didn't connect it to something useful. It was meaningless information to you. It was the teacher on Charlie Brown. It had no meaning, no importance. And learning is when you're focusing your mind and bringing in information and plugging it in somewhere in a way that makes it useful, where you're putting handles on it, where you can take it somewhere else and communicate it to someone else. That's learning. That's what we as Christians are supposed to be doing constantly, all the time. We're not supposed to be wandering through life aimlessly. The Bible says we're to walk circumspectly, knowing what's going on, being aware. In the military, they call it having your head on a swivel, right? 
It's being aware of what's going on, situational awareness. And what we as Christians need is situational awareness in this world. We have a world that's wanting to dumb us down. Don't think, don't think, don't think. What they want you to do is feel, 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 emote. Even in advertising, everything in advertising changed in the 1920s. It used to be, Dan New told me this, it used to be, it used to be that they would advertise something and they'd say, okay, here is this gadget, this is what it is and this is what it does, this is why you need it. I watched a car commercial the other day with uh, Matthew McConaughey. He's one of the weirdest people in the world, I think. And it, it was, I'm watching this commercial and I had no idea what they were trying to get me to think, do, whatever. Just looking at this is a weird dude, man. I have no idea what's going on with this. Where that comes from, that's Walter Lippmann and Edward Bernays. And what they did was they changed advertising and marketing. And Goebbels, who was the propaganda director for Hitler, he learned from Bernays. He learned from Lippmann and took all of these ideas on how to manipulate people and control people. And you do it by dumbing them down and causing them to feel. This product will make you feel a certain way, and it's never true. If White Castle advertised about how their burgers make you feel, they'd never sell one. Right? They're gut bombs. They destroy you. So everything has changed in our world except the Scriptures. And the Bible tells us to focus, to think. And so here when David says, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? What does the pagan want? The pagan wants everything that will meet their sensual needs. Look at pagan cultures in history. If you look at the history of the Greek empire, the foundation of that, and what you'll have is you'll, you'll study the history of Western civilization, and what you'll learn is that the, the republic or the democracy came from Greece, and that's, that's where we learned it. But what, the, probably the thing that affected me the most was, did you know that the first fish fry was in Greece? So, see, you're not thinking Greece. Fry, Greece, not the country, right? It's just a bad joke. It's just awful. So, when you look at the Greek Empire, they didn't give us the liberty that we have. And what was the foundation of it? The foundation was sensuality. So, you had Epicureans, which, who would want to experience everything, and everything was for the flesh. And then you had the Stoics, who didn't want anything and they rejected everything physical and the truth is somewhere in between where God's given us everything freely to enjoy all things freely to it's, it's the, the world it's just got it all backwards but the foundation of Greek society was horrible debauchery and immorality the Roman Empire the same thing I've mentioned to you that I read a book by Suetonius called the 12 Caesars and it, I just couldn't believe how awful these people were. They're just crazy, just crazy how awful it was. And when you go through history, all of these pagan cultures, they devalue women, they devalue children, they devalue human life, and everything is for the sensual. When you go into Eastern religions, a transcendental meditation, and all of the New Age religions, what they always tell you to do is empty your mind. Empty. Does the Bible ever tell you to empty your mind? You're supposed to fill your mind. You're supposed to fill your mind with Christ. Fill your mind with the truth. So do you see the difference? Pagan cultures always devalue thinking and education. 
Even though they talk about education, they talk about learning, true value, true understanding, true wisdom is always diminished. But in Christianity, it's always thinking and thinking and thinking and comparing Scripture and thinking and learning and growing and knowing and then taking all of that and applying wisdom, which is knowing what to do with the truth that God has given you. But the world wants to take that away from us. So what do pagans want? Pagans want everything that meets their sensual and physical needs. What do Christians want? What do people want who know God? Now, obviously, David is writing this before Christ came and revealed himself as Jesus. But he says, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Not for any God, for the living God. There were lots of gods that were out there. But the living God is the one that David wanted. We as Christians, what do we want? Let's look at 1 Timothy 1. And look at verse 17. Are you all still on that higher level of thinking or have you moved down to free association? Look at that light. It makes me think of hamburgers. You know, whatever. All right? Let's focus our thinking. Look at verse 17. Now, unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, how many of you think that's a little bit higher level of thinking? Isn't that interesting? And here's, what I, here's what's so interesting to me about this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God used these men where they were to write these things. And Paul is at the end of his life. These, these are not the words of a baby Christian. Right? He's, he, in, in 2 Timothy, just a couple of years later, He's writing, for I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which a righteous judge shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. And he would say, watch, watch, be sober, watch. They that watch, watch in the night. Those that sleep, sleep in the night. Be aware of what's going on around you. See, think, think, think. And there's something that's very interesting about this text. Look at what it says, verse 17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Notice that as Paul has matured in his Christian walk, towards the end of his life, he's not talking about Jesus as his friend. He's not writing about the Savior or the Father He's not writing in those familial, family, familial terms. He's talking about who Jesus is. Now, that's different. You see, there's a difference between the child that walks in and sees daddy and says, dada. Right? Now, I've got to tell you, there's nothing better than that. Jacob did it this morning. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, there's nothing better than that. When you walk in and your two-year-old's face lights up and it's daddy or it's mama, right? Isn't that a wonderful thing? But honestly, when they're 25, you don't want that. It's weird. And it's the same thing in our Christian walk. Man, I'm so glad I get to know Jesus Christ as a friend. I'm glad that he's my savior. And all of those personal and familiar thing, familial things, they're vital, 
because we've been accepted in the beloved. We're heirs and joint heirs with him. We've been adopted into the family of God. How many of you recognize those are vital truths? And yet at some place I've got to acknowledge he's the king. And that's what's happening in this text. And what brought him to this place? Look at verse 1. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. So he's telling Timothy, this is a pastoral epistle. This is Paul writing to Timothy who was his son in the faith. He had led him to the Lord. He's writing to him, telling him how to be a good pastor. And what's he, is this, is he telling him to meet people's felt needs? No. Elevate their thinking. Stop these silly debates Think about the truth and teach them to have faith in the truth. Have faith that the Bible is true. Have faith that what I'm saying is right. That's what he's telling Timothy. All right? Look at verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. So what happens is after the teaching, what's supposed to happen is these people are supposed to live. Okay, okay, we're supposed to live out this faith in the world. It's supposed to have an effect. It's supposed to change us. So now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Where does conscience come from? God. God, hold your place here. Go to Romans chapter 2. This is what Ray Kurzweil could never understand. A machine can never be a person. Verse 14, Romans chapter 2 and verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by, what's it say? Nature. The things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or excusing one another. Where did this come from? Where did this writing, this conscience come from? That's in their DNA. Look at Psalm 139. I just love it that it took Watson and Crick, you know, when they discovered that double helix and the, the longest word in the world, which is your DNA code, four billion letter word. When they discovered that, all they discovered what God, all they did was discover what God had revealed 700 years before Christ. Look at what it says, verse 15, Psalm 139. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. God wrote your DNA code. God wrote you to be you. Look at John chapter 21.
John chapter 21, look at verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. People think that's hyperbole. Well, I suppose that you, know, you couldn't write down everything that he did. He only walked the earth for 33 years physically. It's possible to write down what Jesus did in 33 years. It's possible to write down what anyone has done in 33 years. This is talking about something much bigger than that. Because remember verse 1 of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And isn't it interesting that the one in whose image we are made... Listen! The one in whose image we are made is called the Word. And that your very minimal essence, your DNA, is a Word. Elevate our thinking. Elevate our thinking. That's the God that we worship. This concept of conscience and thinking, that comes from God. It comes from, listen, it comes from programming. And God wrote that information. Information doesn't just appear. Information has to have an author. And Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. That's who he is. So now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. What, what brought Paul to write this? Remember at the end of verse 5, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So not fake faith, but real faith. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. It's just noise. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, and for unholy and for profane and murderers and, and uh, of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's who the law is for. That's a pretty bad group of people, right? That all of us are found in there. Then look at what it says. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. That's, that's the gospel. Verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. None of us can do the ministry without the enabling of God. And look at how He describes Himself. So here's what I want us to do. We'll do this and then we'll be done. We're going to look at who's writing and then we're going to look at who Jesus Christ is. And remember, we talked about that highest level of understanding where you're looking at something, you're thinking about it, you're focusing on it, and then the lowest level of your mind's function, which is right before you go to sleep, which is free association. What we're supposed to do is focus here on who Jesus Christ is. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to look at the sinner. In verse 13, who was before a blasphemer. And so look at Acts chapter 26. Keep your place here. 
Acts chapter 26. So when Paul, when Paul is listing these things that he was, it's not, again, hyperbole. So this is the Apostle Paul. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, this is verse 10, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Do you see that? and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, yeah, I, I was a blasphemer. When you cause someone to do something, you are that. If you cause someone to lie, you're a liar. If you cause someone to steal, you're a thief. If you cause someone to blaspheme, you're a blasphemer. And the Apostle Paul said he's a blasphemer. Go back to, keep your place in Acts 26. Go back to... Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor, we saw that, right? And injurious, that was verse 10 of Acts 26. So, so we won't go back just for time's sake. So stay here in verse 13. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now it's interesting, what is, was the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was a first century Saint Dominic. He was a first century Torquemada. He was a first century Ignatius Loyola. He was a persecutor of people who believed differently. How many of you have heard of the Dominican friars, St. Dominic? Well, that all sounds like a great thing, but Dominic was the founder of the Inquisition. He would travel through Europe and preach heresy sermons against those who disagreed with what the Catholic Church was teaching and burn them at the stake. That was Dominic. That's what he did. Torquemada is the one who was a part of the Spanish Inquisition and would torture people who didn't believe. was a part of the Counter-Reformation. Then, then, then that led into the Counter-Reformation through Ignatius Loyola. These people, they would torture people who didn't believe the way that we did. That's wicked. That's what the Apostle Paul was. That's who he was. That's why when you look at verse 13, it says, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was as ignorant as the men who killed Christ. So he received the mercy they received. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They did it ignorantly. That was Paul. But look at what he is due. So look at the sinner. He was a blasphemer. He was injurious. He, he caused problems for everybody. He, he was a persecutor. What does he deserve? He's a sinner. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What does he do? He is due death. But now I want you to look at the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Everybody needs to receive it. They need to accept it that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, one of the problems that we have in the world is that people just don't think they're that bad. The Apostle Paul had lived long enough and known God long enough to know 
how desperately sinful he was. Remember what he said, O wretched man that I was. Is that what he said? No, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Look at the sinner. Then look at verse 16. Howbeit for this cause, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. You know, the Apostle Paul's life is not a pattern of salvation. None of us were saved the way the Apostle Paul was. Jesus Christ didn't come and appear to us and speak to us physically. He's a pattern of what God can do with a sinner who believes on Jesus Christ. God can use you. God's long-suffering. He'll use you. Look at what it says in verse 17 now. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's look at the King. He was eternal. I want to read to you. Now, it's hard to listen to somebody read. So young people, look at me. I want you to hear this. This is from John Phillips on the eternality of Jesus Christ. He was there in the dateless, timeless past before the rustles of an angel's wing ever disturbed the silence of eternity. He was there when countless stars and their satellites were hurled out into intangible space to travel on prodigious orbits at inconceivable velocities and with mathematical precision. He was there when our planet was fitted to be man's future home. He was there in the Garden of Eden to stoop down and fashion Adam's clay. He was there when Adam fell. He was there when the flood inundated the planet and when the builders of Babel were scattered and when Abraham was given a vision of a celestial city and called to be a pilgrim and a stranger on earth. Christ was there in Egypt when the exodus took place. He was there at Sinai when the law was given. He was there when David was crowned king of Israel and when the Messianic dynasty began. He was there when Assyria overran Israel, when Babylon ended the Judean monarchy, and when Persia condoned the rebirth of the Jewish state. He was there when Alexander conquered the world and when Rome rose to power. He was there when Jerusalem fell. He will be there when the church is raptured. He will be there when the millennial age ends and time will be no more. The Lord is Jesus, the King eternal. Do you think maybe that's elevating our thinking? He's not just my buddy. He's the King of Kings. Revelation chapter 19 says He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who He is, the King eternal. Not only is He eternal, but look at the verse again, verse 17. Now into the King eternal, but also immortal. The King immortal. What does that mean? Now, this idea, think, think about this, an immortal doesn't die. That's why we say it all the time, Hebrews 10, Thou hast prepared for me a body. God gave him a body, but Jesus Christ is immortal. And that's why this passage is so important. The Bible says, I am he, Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of death and hell. Jesus Christ is the King eternal, the King immortal, the King invisible. The King invisible. Jesus Christ is not bound to a physical body in the way that we are. Now, He will have that body. We'll see it. But He was able to walk through walls. He was able to appear in the upper room. He was able to disappear from the road to Emmaus. That is the God that we worship. The King immortal, invisible. Now, I love this one. The only wise God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. We need that wisdom. Why? Because our mind has been 
diminished to the place where we're almost at a sleep state most of the time. What God wants to do is He wants to elevate us to that highest level of thinking and then give us wisdom to know how to use that mental capacity for His work, for His good. Praise the Lord. The only wise God. So look at the king, but look at what he is due. Remember we looked at the sinner? What does he do? He's due hell. What does Jesus Christ do? Look at verse 17 again. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Look, be honor and glory for how long? Forever and ever. And all the people said, amen. Will you do this for me? Will you lift your thinking? Will you think about Jesus Christ in this new year? You know, that, uh, I saw some that said that, that New Year's resolutions are just a list of lies that haven't been told yet. Uh, I, I, I thought about this. I've actually broken resolutions I didn't make. <laughs> you know, did, did any of you do this and you thought about what you're going to accomplish in the new year and you've already messed it up and you didn't even make a promise? Right? In this new year, let's just make one primary resolution. Lord, focus my mind. Lord, elevate my thinking. Lord, help me to know how to exercise myself to godliness. Help me to learn how to read better, how to focus more on the Scriptures, how to learn more about who God is and how to communicate that to someone else. Pray that the Lord will help you to elevate your thinking. Let's not be dull and dumb and uneducated. Let's be believers who know God and are able to tell other people about Him. We have a great God, don't we? And it's interesting that one of the marks of maturity, the highest level of maturity in Scripture is charity. It's charity. And it's interesting that the world has so dumbed down the world charity that, it, that, they think it, that they think it's giving to the poor. That's not what charity is. Charity is living out all of the fruit of the Spirit in the world. That's what charity is. What, what did God say in the Bible? He defines it. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, Though I, give all my, if, though I bestow all my goods to the poor... And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So charity is not giving all your goods to the poor. How is it that the world takes that definition and turns it on its head? It's because Christians don't know how to think. So let's us, let's make it a commitment. Let's look at Jesus this year. Let's lift our eyes. Let's lift our thinking. You young people, thank you for doing what I asked. It's awesome. Now your parents were okay. But you guys focused in through the whole message. You know what that demonstrates to me? That God gave you minds with that capacity for its highest function. Let's be those kinds of people. Amen? You know, Christians are portrayed as being dumb, as being ignorant, as being flat earthers. All of these stupid things. We're not. We're not. But we don't need the world's judgment on our thinking. We need God's judgment on our thinking. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's elevate our thinking. The title of this message is Unto the King. Is he worthy of our thinking? I want you to think about what a king is. Is he your king? 
Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's interesting. A lot of people want to be saved from hell, but they don't want to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's make him our Lord. Let's make him our King. Amen? How many of you have been saved for more than, say, 10 years? Would you raise your hands? Are you getting to where he's, he's more of your king and that your focus is more on his greatness and on his attributes? He has relative attributes, comparative attributes. He's, he, you need to find out what all that stuff is. There are ways that he's like us and there's ways that he's not like us. We're not immortal. We're not invisible. And we're certainly not the only wise God. That's the list the Apostle Paul focused our attention on compared to his sinfulness. Let's elevate our thinking. Amen? Let's elevate everything. Let's all stand. Lord, thank you so much for your word.